right, so I've got this new toy, and uh, they give me technology. I'm not sure why. So uh, we're going to see how this works today. We're going to be uh, going to the Word in just a minute. We're going to be talking about uh, uh, this, this subject. Let's see what happens. Hey, it works. All right, awesome. Um, I'll probably forget to click. So if I do and I'm on like talking about something completely different than what's on the screen, just somebody yell at me, um, and I'll make sure that that gets back where it needs to be. Uh, it is uh, another week of being able to be here and share the Word with you, uh, and I'm really, really excited once again to be able to do this. Um, it, is, uh, it is a great privilege to be able to bring the Word of God. It is also a, a great uh, lesson in humility because uh, you know, several of you expressed you know, their, their thanks and expressed their... Uh, happiness and joy, I guess you could say, in the message last week, and um, and I, I appreciate that. But at the same time, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I could not be up here doing this without the grace of God and His grace alone. And I don't just say that because it's something people are supposed to say. I actually believe it. If you guys would have known me when I was younger, I was the quietest guy you'll ever meet. I hated to talk to people. I liked to be alone as much as I could be. Um, and uh, somehow, through the grace of God, He called me to something that everybody thought I was crazy. But yet, I'm here today and I I praise Him and thank Him for the grace He's given for me to be able to do this. And I praise and thank Him for you that are able to be here and that we can together learn the Word of God and we can together embark on a journey in which we can grow in Christ uh, and become more and more like Him each and every day. And I hope through this service, both you and I will be able to look at what we're going to look at through this idea of compassion, and as we do that, that we would be changed, that we'd be renewed, that we would walk a little differently as a result of God's Word, that His Word would change us and become within us, and that we would live it out. And that's my prayer and my hope for all of us, and I include myself in this as God speaks to us today. But today we're going to look at this idea, the eyes of compassion, seeing the lost as Jesus did uh, there's really only there's one theme verse which we'll look at in just a minute. Uh, most of you have the uh, outline that was in the bulletin. Uh, as we follow along with that, the, the verse right at the top is going to be our theme verse, but we'll look at that in just a minute. Before we do that, I want to ask this important question. I want to ask each and every one of us, and I had to ask myself this question several times, but how do we view the people around us that don't know Christ? We would call it, uh, they are lost in the, in, the, in the sense that they have not been found by Christ. So how do we view the world around us? How do we view the lost people that we come in contact with every day? Maybe it's at the grocery store. Uh, maybe it's at your place of work. Uh, and maybe it's wherever you might go. And there are people that don't know Jesus Christ that are living in the world that are not living this, this trap where I see people who are lost around me and I automatically have these negative reactions and these negative feelings that come out. You know, sometimes uh, I look at them and think, wow, how dumb can they be? I'm just being transparent. Sometimes, because especially we talk about creation versus evolution. We're talking about that in Sunday school. And if you haven't been coming to Sunday school, I would really encourage you to come. Great material looking at how God created this world. But, I mean, there are people out there that don't believe in creation. They don't believe in God. They don't believe in a lot of things that, to me, are pretty obvious and pretty logical. So I can even look at them and think, you know what, what is their problem? Why can't they get this? Or maybe it's maybe you see them in a certain sin. Homosexuality is one that is, uh, you know, that will that is be an example that I'll probably be referring to several times today. Uh, how do we view the homosexual, the, the person that maybe we are, we're walking in the park or we're at the 
uh, we're at a county fair or something and we see two guys or two girls that are hands or, or cuddling and, and what is our reaction to that? Do we get angry? Do we see them as dirty? Uh, do we see them as uh, less than us? Do we look at them and think, how dare they? How can they do that? How can they be so disgusting? I know I'm using strong words here, but I would say that a lot of us have these thoughts in our minds sometimes. Now, maybe that's not you, and praise God if, you have not, if, you, if you're not looking at people that way, but I know even myself, there's times when I'm not watching out for what I'm thinking that I'll think some of these things. I'll see people who are caught in different sins or someone who doesn't look the part of what I think they should, and, and I all of a sudden start thinking about how dare they, how could they be the way they are, how could they possibly do this or that, and wow, and sometimes I'm really glad that I'm not like them. Sounds like a Pharisee, doesn't it? <laughs> We need to be careful about how we view the lost people around us. So many times we struggle with anger, we struggle with disgust. Those are some words we could use. We see uh, the homosexual, we see the, the person that's sleeping around, we see the person that's lying, we see the person that's gossiping, we see the person that's doing these wrong things. And the, our first reaction is to come down on them, to think that they are somehow horrible or worse than us. Now, as a disclaimer here, I'm not talking about confronting sin between believers. That is something that we need to be doing as believers. And we see somebody that is falling, we need to reach out to them and say, you are caught in a sin and I want to help restore you to a right relationship with Christ. So when I'm talking about all this, I'm referring to those people who don't know Christ. When we look at them, what is our attitude? I want to say something here that I really don't want to hurt anybody's feelings or cast judgment on you here today. Because uh, I've done the same thing here. Last week we watched a video, Evolution versus God. We watched that in our Sunday school hour at our ABF. Uh, something happened there, um, and it's not the first time. Actually, months ago when I first watched this video, I was w- with a group of about 800 people that were there for the Answers Mega Conference, and they showed this video, Evolution versus God. And if you didn't see the video, I would encourage you to go to YouTube, look it up. You can watch it. It's a great video. Uh, we watched that video, and both times I watched the video, there was something that happened that honestly, the first time I watched the video, I did the same thing. But then the second time, the same thing happened. And what happened was this. In this video, there's a Christian guy. He's interviewing those people who would say they're atheists or evolutionists. And he, he comes up with some really good questions that honestly they can't answer. Because uh, evolution is really by faith, and that's what he's trying to get them to see. But in doing that, he's asking a bunch of questions, and I'll be the first to admit that there were some absurd answers from those atheists. Things that you just can't even possibly believe that somebody would actually say those things. But what happened when we're watching that video, that question is asked, and then that person answers in that way, is we as Christians sat there and laughed at those people. Like I said, I'm not here to judge you because I've done the same thing. I did the same thing when I watched it the first time. With 900 people, there was probably 800 that were laughing at these people who didn't know Christ, who were atheists, who had totally wrong answers that were totally wrong, that were totally absurd. And in the fact that they were absurd, I kind of understand that it's funny. I'm not trying to say that we shouldn't find a little bit of humor in the fact that, wow, people really believe this stuff. And that is true. But the more and more I thought about it, and I thought about it last week as we were watching it, and I even laughed a couple times, even this time. And I, I, Is that how God would want us to see those people who He's created that are misguided, that are blinded, that are not of Christ? 
And I would submit to you today as we look at the Scripture in just a second that Jesus would have looked at them in a totally different way. He wouldn't have been there laughing at them, but instead would have a completely different reaction. And my prayer and my hope is for me and is for you that when we look at the people around us that don't know Christ, that we wouldn't laugh at them or think these negative things or look at them as dirty, but instead we would do what Jesus did. And what is it that Jesus did? How did he see people that were lost? Our key verse for today. Matthew nine thirty-six. One verse, but it says a whole lot. But when he saw, and this is Jesus, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like a sheep having no shepherd. Picture the scene of if you came to a field and you saw a bunch of sheep just running around bleeding and just not bleeding, but bleating. I think they bleat. Is that the word? That they, I don't know. Whatever. They're buying, okay? So they're buying and they're walking around the field and they're completely lost. Nobody is leading them and they're just wandering around with no direction. They'll be falling off cliffs. They'll be doing things. Uh, sheep are not smart, so they'll be going everywhere. And when Jesus looks at the multitude, this is what he sees. He sees this group of sheep that are just wandering around that have no direction, that have no shepherd Jesus is the good shepherd. We read that through Scripture, and that's what he wanted to do, is to be the shepherd of those people he's looking at. The multitudes here that he are looking at, he's been spending some time with them that day. He's been healing. He's been preaching. He's been uh, just doing a lot of things with this multitude, and yet they're, they're following him, and he looks out on them. And you know in this multitude, there's sinners of all types. There's people of all types that are out there. And as he looks at the multitude, he doesn't look at them with scorn or anger or judgment, even though technically he would have the right to. But instead, he looks out at them, and he looks at them with compassion. Another word for compassion is pity. That's an that's a interesting word there as we think about compassion and pity. Jesus pitied them. He saw their state, and he was moved with compassion, as Matthew 9.36 says. So then my question comes to us. If we are to be modeling what Jesus has done, if we are really uh, trying to live as Jesus lived uh, in... First John 2, it says that we should walk as he walked. If we are really trying to do that, then we should be living and doing the things that he did. Not that we're going to be perfect, but that we can follow his example. And his example was that he would see people and view people and be moved with compassion with the lost. So, that being said, if we are to follow the example of Christ... And this is the main point of today's message. If we walk away with anything, I'd like it to be this. And that is that if we really want to follow the example of Christ, we will look on the multitude of lost people around us with compassion. You see, we are wandering around in this world. We are here as a light. We are here uh, as followers of Christ. And today, most of us, I'm sure, have accepted Christ. Maybe you haven't. And uh, we'll talk about that later. But if you are here and you've accepted Christ, we still live in a world that doesn't necessarily accept Christ. You go to your jobs, you go to your schools. Like I said earlier, you go to the supermarket. It doesn't really matter where you go, but we are surrounded by multitudes of people that don't know Jesus, that don't know Jesus Christ, that have not given their life to Him. So then, this is going to happen. We're going to come across people that don't know Jesus. We're, uh, as much as we want to shelter or become a bubble, even if we try our hardest, we're still going to come across people who are lost and in need of a Savior. And how are we going to view them? Well, I would submit to you, as I said earlier, that Jesus was compassionate. He had pity, and so should we. Do we look at the lost around us 
in a merciful way or in a judgmental way. There is a difference. I would hope that we would be, have compassion as Jesus did. So let's ask two questions this morning. As we talk about having compassion for the lost, as we see those people that are answering those questions on the video in totally absurd ways, how are we going to view them? How is this all going to work? Well, the first thing is we're looking at compassion. Is I want to look at the idea of why. Why should we have compassion? Now, this is going beyond the verse we looked at, but why is it that we as Christians should have compassion on the people around us that don't know Jesus Christ, that haven't come to know Him? Uh, well, there's several reasons, and I want to look at a couple of them today. The first reason, the why, of why we should have compassion on those who are lost, is that they are blind. They are blind. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 through 4 says this, but even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds this, the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So what did we read here? Their minds that the God of this age, that Satan, has blinded. Okay, so we're looking here that they are blinded to the gospel. They are blinded. So, okay, why should we have compassion on the lost? Well, I want, to, I want you to think about this. If you were to be walking around and you saw somebody who was blind, and it was obvious that they were blind and they kept walking into a wall, would you laugh and, and say, I can't believe you're doing that, what is your problem? Or would you have compassion on that person and say, I really don't want you to run into the wall anymore. I really feel badly for you, so let me guide you where you need to go. Uh, I would hope to say that all of us here wouldn't be the one that would be pointing and laughing. Now, unfortunately, there probably are people in this world that would do that. But this is just a physical example of blindness. So now we bring it to the spiritual realm. And these are people who are blinded. They don't know any better because they haven't been shown the light. The, the Christ has not, they have not seen him. And therefore, they are in darkness. They have been blinded by the God of this age, as the scripture says, that they have no idea what they're seeing. They're walking and physically they're seeing, but spiritually they are blind. They have no concept. As we look at those people in the video, this is a great example the people that are answering those absurd questions, the only way that you could answer those questions the way they were was if they were blind. Because if they were really clearly thinking and clearly seeing this world, those answers would not have come out because they don't make any sense. And to us that have been enlightened, that our eyes have been opened because of the grace of Jesus Christ, we can see it and we can say that's absurd, but yet they're there and they haven't had the light of Christ come into their life and they can't see that what they're saying is as absurd as it really is. So we need to have compassion on the lost because they are blind. Just like we'd have compassion on physically blind people, we should have even more compassion on spiritually blind people because they're headed in a direction that they can't even see. So why do we have compassion? Because the lost out there are blind. Next thing is that the lost, they are doomed. Now this seems a little harsh, but it's true. Uh, Romans 2.8 says this, But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Now this is one verse. I could have, here I could have gone on a rabbit trail and talked about hell and how it's real and how the scripture tells us it's real. And that is all very true and it is right. But fortunately, Pastor John already a few weeks ago was talking about this very subject. How hell is a real place that is destined for those who don't know Christ that are living in sin. So as we look at those lost people, we need to see them 
with compassion because they are doomed to wrath. They are doomed to hell. It is a truth of Scripture. So when we see the people that don't know Jesus Christ, it's easy for us just to say, wow, I can't believe they would live that way. Shame on them. And even sometimes I would even submit that at times we might even have this thought, and we'd probably never admit it, but we might even have this thought, wow, that's a person that actually really kind of deserves to go to hell. Sounds harsh. I know it does. And I've thought that before. I remember a few years ago there was a guy that, um, I don't remember his name now, but he he locked his kids in the house and he burned the house down. And it turns out afterwards he killed his kids and it was a big mess. And I remember thinking as I watched that news story and I heard that he died, I remember my flesh crying out and saying, that guy deserves to be punished forever because of what he did. Such an injustice deserves to be punished but the truth of the matter is, if we think about it, we are, and we'll look at this in a minute, but we are sinners too. We may not have locked our kids in a house and lit it on fire, but we have gone against God. We have stuck our noses up at Him and said we can do it our own way. And as we think about this, people are doomed to hell, and that is not something that we should wish on anyone. This is everlasting punishment that will never end. And... We need to see people as people who, if they don't know Christ, are going to spend eternity in hell. That, that should help us to just have some compassion because they are doomed. They are headed to a future with no hope. Do we feel compassion for that? Well, I'm once again taking it to the physical realm. If you find out that somebody is terminally ill and that they are dying and you know that they're going to pass away fairly soon, you're not going to have you're not going to be like judgmental of that person. Like, how dare you leave your family? How dare you die? You're going to have compassion on that, that person. And why don't we have compassion in the spiritual sense when we know that there are people walking around that are already dead in their trespasses and sin and that it will be going to hell if they don't accept Christ before they pass? Do we have compassion? And why? Well, because they're doomed. The next thing we'll look at, John 8:34. Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits a sin is a slave of sin. John 8.34 This is one verse of many that talk about this idea that before Christ we are a slave to sin. And then when we come to Christ, we are a slave to righteousness or a slave to God. So when people are living in sin and they're committing sin and they have not come to Christ and Christ is not their master and they are not the slave of righteousness, instead what are they? They are a slave of sin, as Jesus says here in John 8.34. Well, why does this have to do with us having compassion? Well, just think about it for a minute. These people are enslaved. That means that they don't really have a will of their own. They don't really have a life of their own. I'm not saying they're not choosing to sin because they are. There is a choice that is being made. However, they are enslaved. Their sin is so entrenched in them that they are a slave to it. That they... As they choose to sin without the grace of God, without Christ coming and changing their heart, they're going to continue to sin. That is what the Bible talks about. So do we blame or look down upon slaves? Once again, let's go to the physical realm. If you're thinking about, you can think about slavery back before the Civil War. You can also think about slavery that's going on right now, which is a really very real issue with sex slavery, with little girls that are being made to go to brothels and things like that. Do we blame those girls? Do we think that they're somehow dirty or they're somehow somehow disgusting? Those girls, no. We get angry, yes, with those who are doing it, but we have compassion on the girls. We have compassion on the slaves. We have compassion when we see people being mistreated. And so now we're talking about an enslavement in which 
sin has a hold on the person who is lost and who doesn't know Jesus Christ. And we should have compassion in knowing that they are in slavery and they need to be set free. And Jesus says uh, in this passage, actually, right before it and right after it, says, and the truth will set you free. He's saying, look, you're slaves to sin, but my truth, and the truth is Jesus Christ Himself, will set you free from sin. So as we look to the people who are around us who are enslaved by sin, just like we'd want, we'd want freedom for those girls that are uh, over in other countries and in this country that are being forced into sex slavery, or we'd have compassion on the African Americans who were, who were used as slaves and beaten down uh, years and years ago, We'd have compassion on them. We need to have compassion. We want their freedom. We should want their, the freedom of those who are enslaved to sin as well. And it will bring the truth of Christ to them. So we should feel compassion to the lost because they are blind, because they are doomed, because they are enslaved. But then here's the big one. Why should we have compassion on the lost? We are no different we are no different you could say this in a lot of ways you could say that we are no better off uh, we only are through the grace of Christ First uh, Corinthians 6 verse 9 and 11 but you, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God and such were some of you but you were washed you were sanctified but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God Verse 10, and between these two verses, lists a whole list of different sins. And it shows the fact that any sin is unrighteousness. And as we think about this, if we have sinned, we have become unrighteous. And as a, as a result, then we were doomed, we were blind, we were enslaved, just like the ones that are walking around that don't know Christ are. We were there. We were slaves at one point to sin. We were blinded by, by the God of this age. We were doomed and headed towards hell. And yet... What makes us different is not anything about us. What makes us different is all about Him. We read on. It says, But you were washed and you were sanctified and you were justified in the name of who? Not in the name of us. Not because we were good enough. Not because we're somehow able to get over our sin and become better and free ourselves. No, it says, In the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. We are only saved because He chose to show grace to us. Not saved any merit of our own. And as we think about that, we think that we are really just sinners that have been saved by grace. And you hear that all the time, but it is a true statement. So when you look at that person that's doing a sin, when you look at that couple that you see that looks that you just are revolted by, when you're looking at those people who are answering absurdly when you're watching a video, it could easily be you right there at that moment doing the exact same thing except for the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I hope you really believe that. Because so many times we can get so arrogant. We can think that we're better. We can think that we somehow don't struggle because we are somehow deserving of a better life. We don't deserve anything from God. What we deserve is hell. And yet God gave us grace. So even though we were doomed, we are no longer doomed. Now we can have hope. Now we can have joy. Now we are not slaves to sin any longer. We are slaves to God. Being a slave isn't a bad thing if you're a slave to the right person and we're a slave to righteousness to God. So when we see the lost, let us remember. It could be us. We could be right there. We are no different. 
We are people who are sinners, who are doomed, who are blind, who are enslaved, that are now free, that are now able to see with eyes, able now to be slaves of God because of His grace. So don't look upon people in a judgmental way. Look at them on, on them with compassion for all these reasons. That leads us to our next question. If we talk about why we need to have compassion, the next thing we can look at is how to have compassion. Because just the word compassion or pity, it, you know, you can say that a lot of things about that. What does it exactly mean? Well, there's a lot of different definitions that you could put on this, but compassion is to show love. Mercy is to withhold uh, withhold things that they, that are deserved. Uh, there's a lot of different ways you could describe it, but I think there's some action steps we can take that show compassion. First one is pretty simple. How do we have compassion on the lost? Well, we must love them. Love, that's a tricky word too. There's a lot of different ways we can describe love. The way we're talking about love today, we're not talking about love between uh, a guy and a girl, or we're not talking about love between me and my buddies. Okay, we're talking about agape love, true love, love that sacrifices, which is really what love is all about. It's self-sacrifice for the good of another. And as we look at love, that's what we're going to look at. Because how do we get there? Well, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 says this, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. <coughs> Excuse me. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So we must love them. It says we must be imitators of God. And then what does it say in verse 2? And walk in love. But then we have an example to look at, which is as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. When we look at the lost around us, we need to have a true love for them. That means that we'd be willing to sacrifice ourselves, our goods, whatever it might be. Sacrifice is a broad term as well, but we need to be willing to do what is best for another, even if it means it's not what best, what's best for us. I would say that this is something that a lot of us have failed to do with those in our lives that don't know Jesus. Because we forget, like I've said, where we've come from sometimes. And therefore, love is sometimes a hard thing. The self-sacrificing love is not easy. It is something that takes work. It takes time. But we should be doing that in the, with everybody in our life, but especially those who are lost, because they are seeing the love of Christ through us. As Christ came and He died for us, He loved us so much that He sacrificed His own life, we should be willing to sacrifice our good, our interests, the things that we want in order for the good of another. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that we'll give our lives for them, but I would say that we should be almost we should be willing to if that is something that God puts in our place. Because these people are lost and are in need of a Savior that loved them and gave his life for them, and we need to love them in the same way. Romans five eight, many of you probably know that by memory, but God demonstrates his own love and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died for the lost. They were still sinners. Notice in that verse, it doesn't say, uh, but God showed his own love that people who were sinners that decided they wanted to live different, well, then he decided afterwards he could die for them. No, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died for the lost. He died for me and you who were lost and are now found. He died for the person on the street that doesn't know Jesus Christ. He died for the homosexual. He died for the adulterer. He died for the pornographer. He died for all people who have sinned. He died for the gossip. He died for the liar. He died for the blasphemer. He died for all people who have sinned. And as he died, he did it 
out of love. And we need to have the same love. Jesus loved us enough to die for us. We are to imitate that love to others and have this agape love, this self-sacrificing love to the lost around us. That is how we can have compassion by showing love. I could go through all the examples of Jesus and how he loved the lost, but we would be here all day long. But look, and you can look at those. Just through the scriptures, through the pages of scripture, you see Jesus loving in a self-sacrificing way. And of course, the ultimate example is through the cross. So to show compassion, we must love them. Next thing is to show compassion, we must pray for them. Pray for them. 1 Timothy 2.1 and on. But 1 Timothy 2.1 says, Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplication, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Not just some men. I'm actually going to turn there this morning to 1 Timothy 2 if you wish to turn with me. The verses surrounding this tell us a little bit more about what is exactly being talked about here. In the book of 1 Timothy chapter 2, In 1 Timothy chapter 2, it says, Therefore I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, and here's the key, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. We read these verses, and what is, what is the context here? We are told to be praying for all men, but what is the purpose of our prayer? Is, are we praying that people will be healed? Are we praying that, uh, that people will be changed? Well, yes, but are we, are we praying? What are we praying about when we pray for other people? Well, we're told here that God wants us to pray because He wants people to be saved. His heartbeat is that people will know Him and come to know Him and be saved from the doom, the destruction that is coming their way. And... He says, pray for all men. He even includes kings, which I'll have a little bit of rabbit trail here. We're kings, heads of government. Are we praying for our president? Disagree with him? Agree with him? That's you. Uh, if you're disagreeing with him, uh, you can be even angry at the sin that he's proposing. But yet, once again, he's lost. He's lost. Others in our government, others that we look to that are doing things that we totally disagree with, whether it's morally, whether it's politically, even the moral things, they can be horrible. And we can hate those sins that are going on, but let's remember that these are lost people that need Christ just as much as we did. Let's not think that we're somehow better than the politicians that are making poor choices. They can come to know Christ too and pray that they will come to know Christ Change isn't going to come through protest. Change isn't going to come through us complaining. Change is going to come through people coming to know Jesus Christ. He changes people. So let us pray for all men. Let us pray for government. Let us pray for our neighbor. Let us pray for the person we see at the grocery store. Let us pray for those who don't know Jesus so that they will come to know Him. We are making, really what we're doing is we're praying that God will open their eyes so they're not blind any longer that He will set them free so that they are no longer enslaved to sin and that they will have hope instead of doom. Let's pray this on behalf of all men, kings included, all people, that they will come to know Jesus Christ, the mediator between God and man.
flowing from that as we pray, we also then next must witness to them. We must witness to them. We must share with them. We must be a witness. We must testify to them. However you want to say it. But in uh, Romans 10, 13 and 14 says, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that's what we're praying for, remember. But then how then... Shall, how then shall they call on him who, in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? God wants us to share the good news of, the, of this, that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We are heralds of that. We are able to come and preachers... He's not talking about we need pastors. He's talking about we need people who are willing to preach the gospel, to talk about the good news of Jesus Christ, that He saved us from our sins, that we didn't deserve it, that we didn't do anything good, and that's not how we get to heaven, but instead it's only through the fact that Jesus came, He lived a perfect life, He died for us on the cross, He rose again on the third day, He lives now waiting to come back, and He asks you to believe in Him and submit to Him and repent of your sins. And if we do that, then... Whoever that is calling on the Lord, and they will be saved. But how should they hear if there isn't a preacher? Uh, in Romans chapter 10, the verses around that go a little bit deeper, so I'm going to turn back there. Once again, if you want to go back with me, that's great. Romans chapter 10, 13 and 14 we just read, but directly following verses 13 and 14, we read this in 15, And how should they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace! who bring glad tidings of good things. So in 15, it says, well, how are we supposed to preach if we're not sent? But really what it's saying here then is how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. That is us. You look and look through other scriptures, you think of Matthew 28 where it says, go into all the world and make disciples. There's several other scriptures. that you got Acts 1.8. You've got several others that talk about how we are witnesses to this world, how we need to testify to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see examples of that through the apostles. You see examples of that through the early uh, church. You see examples of that through the early uh, leaders and also all the people that were there, that they were sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they were witnessing, testifying. And if you want to use what the Bible says, they were preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. We must share the gospel. This is a truth that many of you have heard and I've heard and some of us do it, some of us don't. But I would say, for sure, we look at Scripture and we say, as we look at the lost, if we're to have compassion on them, we must share the truth of the gospel with them. That is how they will come to know Christ. God saves, we don't, but we have the awesome opportunity to share how God saves with people, and then God can use that in order to save people. The Holy Spirit will come and enlighten the Word as we share it, and people will come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. We have an opportunity to be a part of that. You know, sometimes we look at this as just a command, and it is a command. We need to share our faith but kind of what we looked at last week. Should we look at it as just something we got to do or something we get to do? Is it something that we can actually enjoy sharing our faith, looking to others and saying, this is what God has done for me. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He lived a perfect life. He died for you. He rose again. He's waiting. He just wants you to believe in Him and submit and repent. And that's what He asks. And we can share that truth and then hope and pray that God will save their souls and they will come to know Him. 
But if we really have compassion, we will share that. There's a video that's been going around for